City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. Okay, City Limits, second Wednesday of the month. That means it's Energy Day. We'll be talking lots of energy-type issues. And we've got uh, Meg Kimmer in the city of Melbourne. Meg, welcome in this week. Welcome Good morning. Yeah, great. It's my pleasure to be here. Great. And Karina's pushing um, plugs over there, pushing things. And yep. Deb Reed's in the studio as well. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be talking in the second half of the program to um, not a villain from Sherlock Holmes, but our, our own Professor Moriarty mm-hmm. out at Monash, Paddy Moriarty, and he's going to talk to us because a couple of weeks ago when I came out of the studio, I was asked about hydrogen as if I'm some sort of expert, and someone <laughs> said, how do you extract it, etc." and I had no bloody idea. But I know Paddy's written lots about it and talked about it on this program before, so I've teed Paddy up to talk about how you extract hydrogen and its its promise as a an energy source and mm-hmm. hope etc. So mm-hmm. we'll discuss all that. Plus, I think he wants to talk a bit about the northwest link or north is it northwest mm-hmm. northeast whatever it's called link um, as well. So uh, mm. uh, Inter- from an energy from, perspective, or I think from so. From that, from and from a from, from a pollution and all sorts of things uh, perspective. Okay, yeah. So <clears throat> we'll have a yarn doing about that. I'm going to pour some tea. Do we all want tea today? We do. Yeah. Yes. My God, this mm-hmm. is great. Great. What news. tea do we have today? Uh, Jasmine, you won't listen. Jasmine's my favourite. Right. Oh, did yes. you say that already? Yes. yes. No, I mean I take in maybe Carina, ten to twelve Carina percent of what you that. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to have to take in a hundred percent, Jordan. I'm going to ask you a couple of very very difficult questions. Well, you know so. I love quizzes. <laughs> yeah. Right. The well, last time we had a quiz, you just you the question was literally like three minutes long and by the end of the question I'd forgotten what the start yeah, of the question is, was. This is where concentration comes in. Right. What am I saying? So, I can so try. Hang in, hang in. All right. uh, there you are, Karina. Beautiful. Right, we're all going well here this morning. Okay, just um, but a couple of things I thought worth mentioning. Um, I'm not sure I mentioned it last week, but uh, no, it wasn't because I think it was on the um, religion ethics report on the ABC last Wednesday night. A, a Christian woman um, defending uh, Israel Folau and all the things he said oh boy. Um, said that um, you know he had his right to say it and, he, and there was nothing in what he said that was violent. And I thought to myself, which bit of spending eternity in hell is not violent? Hell's quite violent, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, From it's just anyway, what they say about it. That struck me. Yeah. Also, this week um, they've announced they're going to well, be Melbourne eventually, but it's going to be somewhere else first. So we're going to feel really safe at the airports. We're going to have all these trained killets-looking people running around with what are called MK18 rifles, short barrel. Really? And they're going to be pointing at us and make us feel secure. And I thought again, um, I'm not sure that would make me feel secure watching all these trained killers they're pointing guns at me. They're worried that people get ideas from Hong Kong yeah. and shut down the airport. Ah, whatever. That's yeah. right. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but then I want to also raise a couple of just a couple of small things. The Financial Review every couple of weeks has a survey of three or four questions from the past fortnight's um, news. Remember a couple of weeks ago we mentioned they had one in which 64% of their readers said we should be discussing climate change in relation to the fires and not wow. it's not the time, etc. Uh, which wow. are, you know we're talking and 
financial review readers are generally, like I read it to keep up with the class anyway, but they mm-hmm. usually the ones who read it are the class anyway. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and 64% say, yeah, we need to be discussing climate change. Well, this week, though, this one really I thought was an interesting one, but they didn't ask the right option. Okay. Um, the, the Standard & Poor's Australian Stock Exchange 200 index is up 19% year-to-date at around 6,700 points. The question is, do you think it will reach 7,000 points by the end of 2019? And all they give you is yes, no, or don't know. Well, and well, <laughs> you want a don't-care option? Don't care, exactly. <laughs> That's it, you got it. <laughs> what happened to don't-care? Couldn't give us stuff. <laughs> Ah, yes, yeah. you picked on that one. Okay, okay that, was, that wasn't the question. That wasn't one of the two questions, <laughs> oh, okay. though, so don't feel, don't feel you're out of it yet. Oh. Um, on Monday, uh, in the same paper, a head, front-page headline, Hain rebukes director's PM on climate risk failure, and there's a whole story that's now been going on for two or three days. Oh. Uh, Kenneth Hain, a very conservative judge, as we know, on the, when, when he was on the High Court, right. uh, whom they picked to do the bank thing, and I think it backfired on them, particularly in relation to superannuation. Okay. Uh, but he has uh, warned directors they have a legal duty to act on climate change risk included in corporate strategies and report on it to shareholders, etc. And he says both learn and this is a real attack on the government, both learned helplessness and short termism yield a result that fits comfortably with those who still see climate change as a matter of belief or ideology. Huh. And this um, has been short termism. Short termism. And this um, and this debate's been going on. Now the first question I'm going to ask you is and you really you might need time to come up with an answer here. On the same day in the Herald Sun, <laughs> this was the front page headline in the Financial Review, on the same page in the, her- in the Herald Sun, how many lines do you think it got, the Hain, the Hain comment got uh, in the Herald Sun? On the front page? Um, no. tr- anywhere, uh, front to back, sport, anywhere you like, oh, comics? Anywhere in the newspaper, anywhere, how, many how many lines, lines did it get? Yes, yes. I was, so if it was on the front page, I was going to say zero. But if it's anywhere in the paper, I'm going to say... Twelve. Wrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you missed by twelve, by the way. <laughs> so my initial, initial guess was right. <laughs> yeah, it did not rate a line. Not a single line in the not, whole paper. Not a line. It hasn't been mentioned since. Wow. But, but which is quite That's interesting, <laughs> quite interesting, on the same day, and I, 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 it's worth also mentioning, on the same day, page three headline in the Financial Review was this report that electricity prices are going to drop because and the ma- major impact is the inclusion of oh. introduction of more and more renewable energy and our electricity prices are going to drop. That was in the Herald Sun? No, that was, in in the, the, that was page the three lead. The page one lead on the financial review was Hain. The page three lead was this reduction, etc. Right, because of renewables. Etc. Right. Um, now, the Herald Sun has been pushing, as others have for some time, the fact that the reason prices are going up in electricity is not privatisation and greed. It's mm-hmm. uh, to do with renewable energy. Energy, etc., yep. um, and um, and and you know that's that's the major problem. Mm-hmm. Now the um, the Herald Sun on the same day as it didn't mention didn't mention the other one, the um, the the climate change thing. Yep. Um, had three or four stories, including 
including a whole page in which, yet again, Andrew Bolt attacks Greta Thurberg, um, um, as as he does. I mean, he does it regularly. He's obviously worried about her. Oh, he really is. They had a centre-spread piece by their political editor talking about climate change and the need need to to address it, but we have to address it with balance, etc., all Mm -hmm. those sort of stories. Mm -hmm. Um, But they... um, And they buried away on an inside page, page six the story about the, the prices dropping, uh, dropping because, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, the fact that they were, um, they were um, to, do with, to do with renewable energy. Mm. Now, also on that same page, um, page six, they had three paragraphs that, I forget how many, but a hun- several, several hundred wor- workers, mm-hmm. wasn't, I think it was several hundred workers, were killed in an accident in India, a shocking industrial mm-hmm. accident that, you know, where the, 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 fact- factory. Yeah, and the yeah. factory had been put in the wrong, you know, just awful, it was pounds like it was all illegal anyway, mm-hmm. etc. Um, and that only, that prompted three pages, and yet yesterday, all over the front page and four inside pages was the New Zealand Tragedy. Okay, no. Now that's, yeah. you know, I'm just doing that as a comparison of how mm. they value lives. So the mm. lives of those people there, and it's a tragic accident, it's mm. terrible, mm-hmm. but the lives of those people there are obviously worth a lot less mm. than um, yeah. the, or at least worth more than the uh, few than the people killed in Indian um, mm-hmm. tragedy, where you know mm-hmm. they. They barely mentioned it, and it was tucked away on page. And you, if you know newspapers, you you bury stuff on the inside left pages. So. Oh, really? The left pages. Well, that's where people read less. Over. The, pa- the, the right hand page when you turn is the one people see, and they uh, yeah. That's true. That's a, that's true. So yeah. that was buried away. Mm. Now here's a here's a shock. <laughs> there was a a, a a survey done by the Australian National University Hmm. um, looking at uh, various aspects of Australian life and it found that 75% of people at the moment don't trust politicians. 75%. 75%. It's a worrying figure, isn't it? Because you've got to think, what are the other 25% Mm -hmm. doing? What are they thinking? That's right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Who are these people? Oh, (laughs) well, I've got absolutely (laughs) no idea. ANU did that, did they? Because... yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's one of their regular surveys, apparently. No. Um, <laughs> now, here's, here's a, a mathematical question for you. Oh, this is the second question? Second question. Okay, this one. Okay. Okay, you missed the first, by the way. I didn't do well on the first <laughs> I one. I thought you'd stroll with on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. Anyway. anyway. I've learned nothing in all oh, my years. Oh, no, you? you've learned nothing. Yeah. But this one you will get, I think. Okay. When When does 3 equal 10 and 10 equal 3 mathematically? Hmm... Um, Anyone want to top up the tea at this stage? Yeah, okay. See, Karina's <coughs> really enthusiastic. I'm glad she's here. She's <laughs> enthusiastic. It's wonderful. Yeah. Oh. So you're, you're comparing me and her in terms of like, I never want another cup of tea? That's about it, yeah. Oh. <laughs> you, you got that one. That wasn't the question, but you got it right. <laughs> I keep getting them right when they're not the official questions. That's right. I think we should include the other unofficial questions within the official The thing. official question yeah. is, when does 3 equal 10, 10 and 10, 10 equals equal 3? three. I, I'm just guessing it has something to do with capitalism. Yes. Okay. Um. <laughs> yes, that wasn't the answer either, but you're, you're working uh, way too. Does it have to do you're with wages? Clues, aren't you? Yeah. Clues. Does it have to do with wages? Not, well, not exactly, no. Um, 
Oh. I mean, it could if you look at individual people, individual businesses being getting paid in wages. But it, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, um, no, I don't know. I'll okay. Yeah. It's when Coles promises to pay 10 cents to farmers but actually pays 3 cents. <gasps> Oh, um, as they did, they put up there, as you know, they got, they got sprung last week, but they oh they promised to, when they put the price up 10 cents for milk, they said the whole 10 cents would go to the farmer, oh. and they got sprung that they're only paying 3 cents, which Oi. is pretty generous. It could be 2 or 1 or naught. They could have exactly. just chosen anything. Yep. Um, but they paid made 3, and their excuse was that the regulator had misinterpreted what they said. So okay. when the misinterpreted, when the regulator obviously heard them say we will pay the whole 10 mm-hmm. cents to the farmer which is part of their advertising mm-hmm. the regulator stupidly thought they meant we will pay the whole 10 cents to the farmer that's where they went wrong that's where they went wrong so yep. it's hard to see how the regulator can make such a serious mistake <laughs> no. but, um, anyway it's almost like yeah they're not yeah. really concentrating yeah. and the awful thing is coles has now been forced to make up the difference oh uh, isn't that terrible Oh, my God. And, but the whole premise in the first place, like the fact that they've engineered this situation where people who are growing food and have, have you know, growing the produce and, and things that we live off and survive from can't make a living wage and can't survive themselves because of this monopoly that these supermarkets have, yeah. the, that initial premise is already so wrong that they're going to add 10 cents and give it all to the farmer. Shouldn't that be a big signal to everybody that that people can't survive, that they're like, we're going to give this whole 10 cents to the farmers. Like, that, that wasn't the question, but spot on. Yeah, well, good. Again, <laughs> I'm racking these up. Yes. I'm up to four, uh, three or four okay, now. Keep, yeah, keep yeah, the score about it. Right, it down. Yep. Speak, uh, one you can comment on, um, I, I noticed, I think I have only need to be on the Brecky show here yesterday, I can't recall, oh, yeah. but somewhere yesterday. Um, the... Tasmanian government, following that victory we celebrated with Bob Brown and with yeah. the, with the um, protest, yes. protest legislation, the High Court overthrew and, and threw out his charge against him. Yes, uh, I see the Tasmanian government has gone back to to get to to the court, to government, to really um, to change the law again to overcome wow. whatever whatever grounds he won on. So I didn't really, it's I the old that. story where governments um, just keep just, going. Yeah, so yeah. So, you know, if it, uh, that's why I say the separation of powers, the so-called separation of judiciary and legislature, etc., um, is absolutely wrong because when governments lose cases, they just go and change the law back so that right, the judiciary so that it's, loses its power. Yeah, and the um, Tasmanian <coughs> government certainly has a track record on that, yeah, so as well, do most governments, I think. Yeah, yeah. so they're, well, they're, 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 they're attempting to change the law again now to, um, wow. to cover whatever loophole, it wouldn't be a loophole, there. it was the law, but... Yeah. Um, that Brown used to to win the case. Right? Oh boy! Well, so the law to like disagree with your government and peacefully protest against injustice. That that would be the that's it, yeah, <laughs> the general yeah, rule that yeah. we tend to use. And that was by. quite severe. They're bringing back the one where you're not allowed to congregate in front of businesses or something. That, oh, that, all that dreadful, you know, yep. dreadful stuff they had as part of that law. Yeah. Um, <coughs> we mentioned that 64% of Financial Review listeners support. <laughs> doing something about climate change and not mm-hmm. saying now is not the time as we're burning to death. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, last week, uh, last Thursday, wasn't it, um, our Prime Minister slashed the public service, got rid of a number of mm-hmm. departments mm-hmm. and put education in with skills and employment. Because mm-hmm. um, you only study right, to that, get a job the, and be part the of the The Prime Minister knows the system. meaning of life. The meaning of life mm-hmm. is to work with capitalism and yep. 
and thanks to Josh Brydon, we now know you have to work till you drop. Uh, right. Yep. Yes, work till you drop. Work till you die. Um, so, um, but this brought out the best in the Herald Sun readership. Um, <laughs> in uh, oh boy. in uh, Friday's, um, the, the hot topic where they have at the top of the page, where they have a number of little pithy pieces of probably very much truncated versions of the full letter. Okay. But Harry writes, good move, PM, and don't stop there. To the whinging public servants, this is how the real world works. Is it? Yeah, how the real world works? Right, you just smash right. everything together if they have nothing yes. to do with each other? Now, David, another deep thinker, wrote, sacking 25,000 public servants would have been better, but it is a sound start. Oh. Yes. Now, they all go, there's only two letters out of all of them that actually think maybe it wasn't such a good idea. Uh-huh. Um, but Crichton, K-R-Y-T-E-N, um, again, has really nailed it. Reduction of snouts in the trough. Some will now miss out on the five-hour lunches. How very, very sad. What a brilliant piece of writing, that. Um, <laughs> five-hour lunches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he obviously works in business, old Crichton. Uh, anyway, but snouts in the top, like, for God's wow. sake, we, how many, well, every business in Australia has a snout in the mm-hmm, trough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, yeah, but also, um, how, was it, the reporting on it was that they've merged all these things, but they haven't sacked anyone. Like, why even no, they, bother? Well, it's like, they, it's not that I want everyone to be sacked. Of, but they're getting rid of people. They will. Oh, well, there was yeah, some yeah. quote that I saw in The Guardian that was like, no one will lose their job or something they've like that. They've got to find other spots for those because they've wiped out a couple of departments and exactly. the heads and things there have got to go. So they've put the go. arts in with transport or something. Yeah, it disappeared somewhere. <laughs> it, uh, they couldn't find it for a while. <laughs> it took about three days for anyone to find <laughs> arts at all. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> then it turned up somewhere. What oh, are we up no. to? Eight? Oh, we better move on. Um, now, the new, um, well, he's not new anymore. He's a year or so into it. But mm-hmm. um, Bolsonaro, the mm-hmm. head of the Brazil, mm-hmm. Brazil president, who mm-hmm. literally is a fascist. Yeah. Um, Getting less and less popular in Brazil. Indeed. And daily. There's been, there's been uprisings across Latin America at the moment. Yeah. And, um, of course, De Silva, the, um, the former leftist president, is, is out of jail again, and he's, he's making speeches asking people to rise up. Mm. Um, but it points out the streets remain empty because mm-hmm. there was a law brought in by the previous fascist dictatorship which killed and disappeared and murdered and jailed and did, tortured mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. called A15. Mm. And... Um, Bolsonaro, right-wing nationalist and former army captain who speaks admiringly of the country's former military dictatorship, has called the protests in Chile, Colombia and beyond terrorist acts and asked Congress for the authority to use the military to stop any violence. His son and his finance minister have taken the rhetoric further, musing publicly that it might be necessary to dissolve Congress and shut down the press if, as Eduardo, the son, said, the left radicalises. The infamous decree, A15, the one I just mentioned, issued by the dictatorship in 68 to consolidate its power, sharply curtailed political and press freedoms, leading ultimately to the institutionalisation of censorship, extrajudicial killings and torture. Eduardo Bolsonaro, a federal congressman, was the first to publicly evoke A15 recently as a possible response to leftist agitation. Mm. The president's son was widely criticised for the remark and ultimately walked it back, but that didn't stop economy minister Paolo Guades from raising A15 again. Asked what he thought of Lula's call, that's um, 
Lula is, of course, um, De Silva. Um, call for mobilisation. Guardes said Brazilians shouldn't be surprised if someone called for the decree. So they're, hmm. they're moving closer and closer toward mm. real fascism over mm. there, which is quite serious. And it, to show what a deep thinker Bolsonaro is, the father, mm. um, Leonardo DiCaprio donated, um, I think, $500,000, in fact, to World Wildlife Fund because he, you know, he's concerned about nature, etc. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, Bolsonaro said that, that he, um, not he, Bolsonaro, but he, DiCaprio, mm-hmm. was responsible for the Amazon fires. <laughs> um, now, you know... His logic does leave a bit to be desired here, but um, <laughs> he said, while worthy of support, we did not fund it, the organ- uh, DiCaprio said that, but um, Bolsonaro said, this Leonardo DiCaprio was a cool guy, right? Um, giving money to torch the Amazon. Um, yes, um, he said the volunteer... Uh, so what did the NGO do? That's the World Wildlife Fund. What is the easiest thing? Set fire to the forest, take pictures, make a video, the president oh. said, etc., etc. It's all fake news. It's yes, fake news. that's right. Um, it's not so all the agriculture and all the free rain that he's given to everybody to go in there and no, chop no, everything no. down. No, no, A part of the 500 grand went to the people that were setting fires, Bolsonaro said. Leonardo DiCaprio, you are contributing to the fire in the Amazon. That won't do. Wow. Oh, what? So, <laughs> so uh, he's right on the ball, isn't he? Oh, boy. That's him. What's going on? Um, good question. Yeah. Good question. There's that story. Power People are born. really, really mm. getting annoyed about capitalism, though. I do feel like mm. that. Like in Chile, the mm. protests mm. there were about, an, um, you know, the increase in the uh, cost of public transport. Mm. It's only a small increase, but people are just feeling more and more um, exploited, I think, and, and, and fed up. So I think it is interesting. I think Latin America, like South America, is where we're seeing a lot of people pushing back very strongly against this whole um, disenfranchisement that people feel in capitalism. Like you work and work and work and you don't get anywhere. And not only can you not get anywhere, but you can't even barely survive anymore, you know? Well, that's that's always the case with capitalism. Maybe yeah. people are waking up more and more. I think, yeah, I, think I, I don't know. I feel like maybe that is what yeah. is happening there at it's, least. Yeah, and I yeah. think um, it's interesting that younger people are, are. You know, in my day, when young people were involved in politics, they generally got involved in political parties. But these yeah. days, young people involved in politics aren't really joining political parties, which is no. pretty encouraging, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, given the state of the political party. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But. Uh, well, but anyway, that's uh, that's so. Uh, yeah, the the other one we mentioned about um, power prices and uh, privatisation maybe having a, a small um, having a small uh, contribution to uh, prices going up. But um, mm-hmm. but we also way back when we used to cover the privatisation process in the early days of city limits. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about mm. the fact that the private companies were put, weren't, weren't keeping up the maintenance that the public private sector did when the private sector owned it. So it always kept it, at, at, you know... At the main, other way, you mean the public sector, when it was Did public? Did I say it the wrong way around? The public, so, yeah. the public sector always maintained it perfectly. Yes. And the private sector okay. had this theory that let it run down and then you can... Um, I'll tell you in a second, yeah. And uh, the... Um, and, and 
You can let it and run down and then let the government... Down. That's yeah. right. Well, no, well, then you can... It's cheaper to fix it when it fails than keep maintaining mm. it because of the cost of maintenance, etc. Which is insane. Um, but in Coburg last week... Um, Coburg, believe it or not. Coburg. Yes. A heavy power conductor fell to the ground, plummeted in the wind. Gee. Um, and it was put down to a rotten telephone pole. The, 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 the telephone pole was rotten. Wow. Um, and... That happened at 6.30 in the morning, and the woman whose house had happened outside said that, you know, her husband could have been in the car a few minutes later when it landed on the car. Um, And anyway, the company now, Jemina, is looking at uh, inspecting all the poles in the area, etc. That's a good idea. But it's a good example of uh, privatisation having a bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Perhaps the rotten thing is the privatisation process itself. Oh, uh, powerful analogy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, I'm glad you said that. You made me feel stupid now. <laughs> but anyway, <It's> totally genuine. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, let, let's say now that you're here today and I'm yeah. here today, um, perhaps people are hearing the sweetest sounds. And, oh, uh, yes. We're going to play a song. It's track seven, by the way. I could ask that question. Track seven. Who is the artist? Um, now, the artist. It's an, It's one of. It's my very favourite Australian jazz singer. Her name's Janet Seidel, and if you know her, or not, mm. she's from Sydney. Nice. And she's yeah. doing this with Australian jazz backings, etc. But um, yeah, she's. I think she's got. A, she's a great jazz singer, and she. Um, she comes from Sydney. Janet Seidel. Oh, 
Genocide Dell um, and me. Lovely song, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, we haven't talked about the fires yet, but we also are just going to get Paddy on the line, hopefully, but Mm -hmm. we haven't been able to get through to him yet, so if you're listening, Professor Moriarty, please pick up the phone. Are you sure that he won't be? (laughs) Why are you sure? (laughs) Because he'd be sitting in his office and he's probably waiting for the call. Well, I hope so. Um, We're trying to get through to you, so... um, Please pick up the phone. But um, so where there's been a huge amount of fires in New South Wales, 96 um, bush and grass fires, of which 47 have not, weren't contained a few days ago. And um, Sydney has seen the effects of the fires from smoke and, and the, it's estimated that the uh, air quality there is 11 times worse than um, the the limit of what should be breathable. Mm. Um, and there's been a bit of discussion about the responses. I, listeners would remember that we've had um, a fire expert on the show, or we, mm. we replayed an interview Greg at Mullins, least. Um, yeah. some weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. And sadly, all that he predicted is happening in Sydney right exactly, now. Yeah. Exactly what he predicted. And one of the fascinating things that he said that I that really struck a chord with me was that um, Australia-wide there's always been a coordinated fire response plan, bearing in mind that um, different parts of Australia traditionally burn at different times of the year because of the different climates from the north to the south Mm. and that means that fires in Tasmania could have additional firefighters brought in from um, up in the north where there wasn't any immediate fire risks and and could come down to Tasmania or Victoria and help out but um, apparently you know in this instance in New South Wales they're really lacking the um, amount of resource like resources that they need in terms of equipment, but also in terms of people, because a lot of the fire um, 
a lot of the firefighters are volunteers because of the system that we have, but that system relies on that ability to have fire, firefighters come in from other states and, and help each other out. Um, so there's been calls to he- like help out with that, and um, instead of that, recently we saw the Prime Minister um, launch the Religious Freedoms Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which in when and? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit, um, uh, a little bit maybe not addressing the major issue that's oh, it's happening. Israel, Israel Palau's right to tell us we're all going to go to hell. <laughs> we're, there, we're there right now in New South that's Wales. Right. Well, that's right. They're going to hell, aren't they? It's sadly. And yeah. the, other, the other factor he raised, of course, in which people are now talking about in relation to the fires is the incredible impact on flora and fauna on right. wildlife. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and he made the, the, the really devastating point that where the indigenous people used to use fire as a way of conserving yeah. and continuing. Yeah. Um, the, now, if they're happening too regularly, those those particular pieces of flora, that, yeah. the flora that, that regenerates through fire, it can't regenerate when it happens every couple of years and the seeds don't yeah. develop, etc. So we're yeah. actually things are becoming extinct yes, because, because of, of the, the strength of the fires and the regularity of them. Yeah. yeah, and these fires are burning at a much higher intensity because of the dryness. And I, yeah, and and the uh, the government has, I mean, according to the Guardian, at least as far as I'm aware, the government hasn't um, basically just refuses to concede that climate change has anything to do with these um, unusually early and fierce fire seasons that we're seeing. Mm. Um, when yeah, the role of climate change is. Kind pretty much undeniable, and and I think that this level of denial is why people are so active now in things like Extinction Rebellion and other movements that are pushing on the government to to take action. Um, because when when there was the climate strike in um, just around the world, but in Melbourne fairly recently in the last month or so, mm-hmm. um, the Premier Daniel Andrews said. You know, oh, it's you know, all very well, but you shouldn't disturb people and disrupt the city um, when there's other avenues for you to, you know, have your voice heard. But the thing is that people feel like there there aren't other avenues, and so the government keeps on denying. Well, there are. They always, even you know, the the worst polluter will tell you you have a right to protest as long as it's totally ineffectual <laughs> and has no impact, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Did you did you see um, oh, uh, Scott Morrison also at that press? I think when he was launching the religious freedoms bill, was asked about the fires and the quote was that they about the firefighters and the fact that they've been like on the front line day after day after day, and he, the quote that I recall seeing was that they w- they want to be there. We're not going to stop them. No, they want to be there. They want to be there because they can destroy their health, etc., etc. Yeah, not see their families and risk their their lives. Well, they are, particularly in the in the climate. I mean, you've got this inverted inverted layer of air that's hitting Sydney and hitting all over the place. Yeah. Up north, and that's yeah. just so dangerous because it's, it's full of those the minor particulates that come right. out of diesels we talk about, yeah. which are so dangerous to human health. And right. Uh, and in fact, there is a piece here I've got somewhere which I've got a migraine with, sort of raising with Patty, mm-hmm. um, 
that uh, they're now saying it can lead to heart disease and all sorts of things right. in, in taking all this in. So it's 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 incredibly serious. Yeah. But you get you do get some interesting and um and responsible responses. Um, <laughs> Uh, a responsible response. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, as a, apropos of the Kenneth Hain speech I talked about earlier, where yep. he where he talked Said about, about government the like, need for everyone else to do to yep. take action, and we had a, a big, you know, law, and they had a companies had a by law take it into account. Daniel Wild, he's director of research with the Institute of Public Affairs, and obviously his his research goes deep. Um, well, so when he discovered, I mentioned that Kenneth Haynes was a he was a black type lawyer mm-hmm. um, who, um, black letter lawyer. What does that mean? It means they follow the letter of the law absolutely, oh, quite conservative okay. and, uh, yep. and uh, as a lawyer, but he came up with a, a report that you know, was pretty pretty interesting in terms of the banks, etc. But now I've discovered he's a, he's a, he's a left-wing radical. Wow. Yes, yes. Daniel Wilde wrote a so-called think piece which is certainly praising it um, in yesterday's Financial Review saying, far from being a disinterested arbiter of banking regulation, Kenneth Haynes' comments about climate change have proven he is just another left-wing representative <laughs> of the Canberra swamp <laughs> and the wrong person to head the Banking Royal Commission. Now, that, that's the opening part. Can you see where this article's oh heading? Oh, my God. It's so partisan, isn't it? Like, it's just out of control. That's right. Like, that's anyone that's who that's says anything about climate change, yeah. even if they've got this track record of being, like, one of the most conservative that's people right. well, in that, the country. Well, Daniel's in-depth research is showing to be a left-wing representative of the Canberra swamp <laughs> and the wrong person, etc., um, to head the banking. So obviously Daniel isn't pleased with the Banking Royal Commission findings either, but um, mm. so he just whipped that one in. Just, just um, throw that in as a side. That he, he's, he's some amazing comments, and we'll, we'll go on with them now because we, we're having trouble getting Paddy. He yeah. must be out of his office because I'm sure that the number I gave is the correct one. But anyway, well. it is also significant that Hain failed to include details to his policy proposal. As a former High Court Justice, Hayne should know the perils of poorly worded and vague laws which lack direct accountability. But he's not making a law. No. We're getting bogged down in the details. You're, you're interrupting the, 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 the research here. Okay. It is also a fundamental principle of the rule of law that legal obligations must be predictable uh, and clear. In justifying his remarks, Haynes said that international opinion is clear and is now firmly behind the need for all entities with public debt or equity to respond to climate change issues. The opinions, not facts, of a small (laughs) cater of unelected internationalist bureaucrats should apparently decide if someone living in central Queensland gets to have a job. Now, (laughs) (laughs) his logic is running riot about here. (laughs) This is precisely the negative globalism that Prime Minister Scott Morrison criticised in a speech to the Lowy Institute earlier this year. Um, Hayne disturbingly asks, where, what is there left to debate? Perhaps we could debate the fact that China is the largest emitter. On he goes. Oh my God! Any of these points? Now this is the bit I like. Any of these points must be debated in a manner consistent with the values of a liberal democracy like Australia. So we still you need mean a debate. A neoliberal whether, capitalist yeah, right, democracy. Whether, whether capitalism is still going, etc., etc. And. Um, and apparently, um, I think they mean must be debated in a manner consistent with coming up with the result they want. <laughs> um, otherwise, you'd, the debate you'd have to just keep having it. Um, anyway, that's um, that's the latest from the Institute of Public Affairs. And it, it, it got 
It was given a um, half a page in the back, you know, the opinion page of the Financial Review, backed up by. And a here was I thinking all the other things you've said about the Fin Review today. I was starting to think, are they the class enemy? But they've brought uh, it back around. Well, the editorial backed him up on the opposite page. Oh. Keep the courts out of corporate climate policy. Oh. Yes, yes. Okay. Kenneth Hayne did open. Is he? Is he in? Is he a like sitting judge? No, he, reti- he retired. He's retired from, he right? retired from the High Court, but then was appointed by the government to, to run the Royal, the Royal Commission. Commission. But has yeah. the Royal Commission ended? Yes. Okay. Yes, but so he's, he's a retired. Judge. He is I now. Guess and he's, he's in the he field. Spoke at, he spoke at this meeting of whatever and um, and made these comments, and they picked them up. But yeah, yeah. Okay. So, well, um, Kenneth Hayne usually chooses his words carefully. That's why much of his intervention into the debate about climate change and directors' duties is nothing new. It largely repeats the advice given to the regular. Corporate leaders buy, etc., etc. But Haynes' view that boards should eschew financial short-termism regarding climate risk is what all switched-on sets of directors should do, etc., etc. But then they attack him for making it law, um, or wanting, suggesting maybe it should be the law. This is the anti-democratic implication of Mr. Haynes' statement that companies shouldn't rely on the learned helplessness of official climate policy, and of his elitist view that directors should not be distracted by the framing of the political debate in nativist populist mm. terms. The notion that directors should be responsible for implementing cuts to company-related emissions that exceed the Morrison government's emission target would essentially privatise the nation's climate policy... <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and usurp the sovereign role of the Australian Parliament and people. Well, it wow. already is privatised. Breaking news here, Kevin. We've got Paddy on the line. Yes, we do. Good heavens. Yep. <laughs> Paddy, we, we had trouble finding him this morning. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. It's one of these um, internet phones and a lot of buttons. Oh. oh. Okay. Well, look. The internet. <sighs> Buddy, climate change should sort that one out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Paddy. Look, we, we introduced you earlier, but Paddy is, of course, um, researcher. He's, he's, in the engin- he's an engineer, in fact, but he does all sorts of research for all sorts of things at Monash. And um, you've written lots on hydrogen, Paddy. We did ask. We're running out, we're running out of time now, aren't we? But um, we did ask for. Um, I was asked a couple of weeks ago. How do you extract hydrogen? And is it is it a real promising? Energy source for the future. So, step one: what is the pro- pro- uh, what, what is the Prospect. procedure for getting it out of whatever out of water? I well, the, the, the trouble is that there, there is most of the most of the universe consists of free hydrogen, but there's only about, about one molecule per square kilometre, uh, cubic kilometre in space, and it's. Um, there is a lot of it in, say, things like the sun, but it's very hard to get there, even if, mm. even if you go up at night time. Right? <laughs> yeah. so, so on Earth, we have a lot of hydrogen, but it's either bound up into, in water, of which we have um, 1.4 billion cubic kilometres, or bound up in, in um, living matter and, and also fossil fuels. So water and fossil fuels are two possible sources of hydrogen and in fact hydrogen is used in industry today and that's the way they get it mainly by from um, from um, natural gas how do you get it out though how do you how do you get the hydrogen out of the h2o whatever whatever well you can use electrolysis right but that uses a lot of energy and of course if you use fossil fuels which consist of carbon and hydrogen you can extract the hydrogen but then you're left with uh, carbon dioxide Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the. Uh, so in other words, at present, with our present energy system, uh, a hydrogen economy wouldn't really make much sense because um, we can already burn fossil fuels and just converting them into hydrogen and getting the same amount of carbon dioxide is really a mug's game, right? Mm-hmm. So what um, one possible approach to hydrogen would be. The main sources of renewable energy are, in fact, intermittent sources, that is, wind and solar. Now, um, the thing is that uh, these, as I say, these are intermittent. And so one thing you could do is when um, when these are used more abundantly, you'll have times that produce surplus, um, times of bright sunshine, times of high winds, and that, and that produces surplus of electrical energy over and above the immediate grid needs. The proposal is then to convert this into hydrogen, um, and that would make sense because otherwise, and, and store the hydrogen because otherwise you would have to convert it into say um, into into chemical en- energy in a battery and then later reconvert it to electricity and so on. Mm. So that's the only scenario in which um, production of hydrogen makes sense. And given that um, uh, renewable energy is such a small or part of the total energy scene, and especially intermittent renewable energy, this is for the future. Now, there's some scope for uh, producing hydrogen, even if it doesn't help climate change, if, in fact, you need to iron out the bugs in doing it and so on, right? But as a major energy source today, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's, a, it's an energy source for maybe 30 or 40 years on. How do you actually take the solar energy and turn it into hydrogen energy? Well, you use photovoltaic cells, which then produce electricity. The electricity is then used to electrolyze water into hydrogen at one anode and oxygen at the other. Right. You collect the hydrogen, compress it, store it, and then use it as as required. In fact, you could send the electricity to a um, service station, for instance, and then make the hydrogen on on demand there. Mm. and store it in tanks. And the difference between that and you said the other option is chemical, turning it into chemical energy, and that is that what's inside of batteries? Yeah, electricity, uh, if, you, if, if you have intermittent uh, solar, for instance, mm. um, what you can do uh, when, it's, um, when it's a surplus to the, uh, to the um, uh, grid requirements, you, you can use store it in batteries, which mm. which is a, which means storing it as chemical energy and then uh, releasing it again as electrical energy. But of course, each time you convert from one energy form to another, you use you lose energy, mm. right? So the fewer energy conversion links in a chain, the better. And so, is, does that make hydrogen storing it as hydrogen better than storing it in a battery, or are they about the same? Well, the thing is that you can use hydrogen directly, right, right. in fuel cells, yeah. whereas, in other words, there's one less conversion link Okay. Um, because you don't have to convert hydrogen back into electricity. Yes. Yeah. Well, so in storing it, Paddy, you have to have fairly reinforced containers of some sort, wouldn't you, because it has a well, tendency to blow up. underground. Yeah, you'd, you'd compress it and you store it underground, Um yeah, I mean, there's a cost for that, and there's also a dead volume, which means you can't get it all out and so on. But um, uh, natural gas is stored underground in underground uh, ex- in old salt caverns and so on, so it is done already, mm. um, storing of gas underground, yeah. Yeah, what about, though, if, if you're using it, to say, to propel cars, um, you'd need fairly... Again, I'm going to say fairly reinforced container, whatever you use to put it in. Yeah, they, they actually have, appear to have solved that problem. They have uh, fibre reinforced um, c- 
containers and they can have quite high pressures in those and hydrogen appears to have solved the um, the the range uh, problem whereas um, uh, electric vehicles haven't so that's why electric vehicles are widely perceived as sort of second vehicles and so on with um, limited mileage yeah. uh, in other words trying to trying to fit enough batteries which are very expensive and also heavy if you um, if you try to cover the full range that that cars might go each day, you're going to um, it's going to be pretty inefficient. So what they're doing with electric cars, which by the way are selling pretty well, mm. about five million in the world today compared with a, with about seven thousand hydrogen vehicles. Mm. So what they what they do is um, uh, is that they. Uh, the, 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 you, you can either have uh, hybrid vehicles, which have a, a uh, backup internal combustion, a petrol-consuming internal combustion engine motor, or you can just have a, uh, a pure battery electric vehicle, but just use it for um, a limited range each day. And um, that seems to work, and in especially two-vehicle households, use your uh, petrol vehicle for uh, when you have to go a great distance or, or a greater distance than, say, 50 kilometres a day. Mm. In terms of emissions, um, how much better is an electric vehicle considering that the electricity that we use isn't always made renewably? Yeah, a little bit better, mainly yeah. because electric drive, mm. which both electric, uh, battery electric vehicles and hydrogen vehicles use, is more efficient than uh, internal combustion engine drive. Okay. But it, it's not a game changer. It's not a great difference. Right. Especially since um, we use brown coal to, to produce electricity, which yeah. is not as good as um, using petrol in vehicles. But there is that impression, isn't there, out, like that people who think, oh, well, electric car, that I've, I've sorted, I've done my bit. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, is, it, it yeah. does a bit for the, um, it does a bit for air pollution. Okay. Um, uh, that is when we used to worry about vehicle, vehicle air pollution. <laughs> right, uh, as uh, opposed uh, to fire uh, air pollution. Uh, and, uh, before yeah. bushfires, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, one of the problems with electric vehicles is because of the batteries, they're a bit heavier than other vehicles. Mm. And not all pollution in cities comes from the uh, tailpipe. A lot of it comes is my minute bits of rubber from their tyres. Mm. And if you have a somewhat heavier vehicle, you, you're going to have more uh, particle pollution from tyres. So uh, they're not totally pollution-free. And that uh, pollution, Paddy, by the way, um, is washed into our waterways um, when you have storms and things. So that yeah, that, yeah. that increases in, in, the pollution. In, mm. in fact, there's a lot of uh, stuff in the literature, uh, scientific literature today on, on on plastic pollution. We call them rubber, but they're actually made out of plastic these days. And mm. um, it, it's a lot of scientists are a bit worried about that. So, um, yeah, so that's uh, hydrogen. As I say, it's it's better seen as an energy carrier since it doesn't exist free in nature the same way as, say, um, fossil fuels do and so on. Mm. Uh, I was talking to Colin Long last week, ex-secretary of the Tertiary Union, but who now works at Trades Hall on climate change issues, and he sees he's most enthusiastic about hydrogen. He sees it as a great hope for the future of energy. Um, you obviously don't agree with that, absolutely. Well, in the future, but uh, not... Uh, I don't know. I've just, I'm presently writing about uh, uh, about catastrophic climate change, mm. uh, which the which has been hinted at in the 2018 Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. What they're basically saying is that now that we have um, now that we know uh, what happened to both the climate and uh, and the ecosystems from um, 0 to 0.5 and 0.5 to one degrees above 
uh, pre-industrial temperatures and now we're in the 1.0 to 1.5 range and the effects, the, um, the, the deleterious effects are non-linear. In other words, uh, going from 1.5 uh, 1. to 1.5 is going to be a lot worse than going from from um, uh, 0.5 to 1. Mm. So a lot of them are saying that we really don't have any carbon budget left, and we better act pretty soon. And uh, if you're talking about a 10-year time frame, all these things like renewable energy and so on don't make a lot of sense because um, we don't have time for that. What's the op- What's the other options? Well, I, I think the the main option we we can't avoid serious climate change, but we, we can probably avoid, still avoid catastrophic climate change. And that is, I think, um, energy conservation, that is, we've got to change the way we live. Right. Um, in other words, we've got to uh, not only question, but start reversing um, economic growth. As you know, every country mm-hmm. in the world, if, if the one thing they are, uh, that politicians are genuine about is trying to, uh, to promote economic growth, right? Mm-hmm. That is, and basically, that's the wrong way to go mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Right, makes sense. Cheerful, Sol, aren't I? Well, yeah. just right for the show. <laughs> no, you're, you're perfect. For, absolutely, yes, Meg's right. You're absolutely perfect for city limits, Paddy. Um, uh, <laughs> look, you did mention you wanted to. We've only got about two minutes left now, unfortunately, because we we couldn't get on to you for so long. But but um, you did say you wanted to mention the North West Link. Um, is it North West? Whatever it is. Uh, North. Uh, whatever it is, the uh, yeah. uh, the outer circle rail line. Yeah, briefly. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, that's right. Orbital the outer, well, you're over the rail line. That's right. I'm getting confused. Yeah. Here, my uh, old briefly, age is catching I, up. I had a look at it. I had a look at it and tried to mentally plan my own trips, and I couldn't see that it helped much. Um, I can see that it would take. A, I can see that it would take a little bit of traffic off the off the uh, off the the central system and so on, which the um, uh, the the metro tunnel link will do as well, of course, uh, off off the loop. But um, basically. Uh, each dominant transport system, and ours is a car-based transport system, has its own transport logic. Mm. And um, we're trying to fit uh, public transport in the, into that logic. And I think when this is finished in 2050, I think the transport game will be very much different than, than we have today, right? Mm. I think we will be, as generals are supposed to be fighting the last war, I, I think we will be building for a, for a transport logic that, that no longer e- exists. Mm. So, um, I mean, if they want to draw lines on the maps, fine. But before they actually start spending $50 billion, I, I, I'd think very, very carefully. And you're looking at that in terms of um, the use of cars? That seems well, to... basically, I think just uh, we're going to have to cut down on transport. I've just written a paper, again, for the International Journal of Hydrogen Energy, which showed that vehicular travel grew something like 225 times between 1900 and 2018. Mm. Far greater than, say, population increase or even GDP increase mm-hmm. and so on, right? It was, uh, it's what uh, Professor John Ory calls hypergrowth, right? Mm. In other words, it's just exploded. And what's it for? You know, so I think what we need to look at is cutting down on vehicular travel getting off our asses and walking a bit as well. Right? Yeah, and redesigning right. the planning the planning of our cities as well. Because a lot of, a lot of people are forced into driving yeah. because of bad design. Yeah, it's, it's basically, I think the existing city would, would work. It's just that, um, in other words, we, we can't really rebuild a city from scratch. No. But uh, basically, um, the uses of various buildings will change and so mm. on, and... Um, but mainly we'll start combining trips, we'll start converting trips from vehicular to, to uh, non-motorised and we'll just drop a lot of trips because uh, 
it's just not worth it any longer. Peter, we're going to have to wind up here, unfortunately. Probably we've gone on to you so late, but... um, the, yep. um, but look, thanks for your, all your work this year with us, because you come on as a regular, a regular or irregular, regular, whatever we're going to call you. Yeah. Um, and um, and thanks again for this, and we'll catch up with you next year when we'll talk more about thus things. Everything. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Bye, thanks, guys. Paddy. Thanks, thanks for your buddy. work. Adio. Bye. Paddy Moriarty there, and um, yeah, pity we couldn't find him. But he was. We did have the number right, did we not? Uh, I think originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just there was something wrong in his end. Well, pity. you know, we managed to have a great. I mean, just more time well, for us to that's chat, right. Kevin. We are. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> <laughs> People out there were thinking that was a brilliant discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Insightful commentary. <laughs> Actually, uh, I'll, no, I'll tell you off here something. All right. It's. Uh, <laughs> Got to go. Look, um, but Meg, look. Is this your last show for the year? I don't know. You're coming, coming next year. Coming oh, next week, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay, yeah. yeah. But that meanwhile, good. thank Karina for doing it marvellously. Karina, stuff. you're amazing. Well done. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.